This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for February 9th, 2014. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. The message is by Father Ron Baird. His Gospel lesson, Jesus says to the people gathered for the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, it's an interesting thing because in Greek, the written language has ways of placing accents on words and things that we only do with our tone of voice or something. Because So if you were going to read it the way it's actually written, it would be, you are the salt of the earth. It's got that kind of emphasis to it. So he's trying to make it clear to the people together, you, not somebody else, you are the salt of the earth. What do we mean today when we say that somebody's the salt of the earth? Just a good old boy. Um, it's kind of a funny thing, and then we don't use the phrase much anymore. You don't hear it much. People used to talk about it a lot back when people learned the Bible more. But to really understand what it means to be the salt of the earth, particularly what Jesus is talking about, you have to kind of look at salt and what is it. It starts off with, he says, if salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? So I want to ask you a question. Can salt lose its saltiness? Well, we've got a yes and a no. <laughs> it's probably one of those. Actually, it can. Do you know how? Can you guess how? diluted, yeah. If you put one teaspoon of salt in 50 gallons of water, you wouldn't know that there was any salt in it. And so one way to, um, to for salt to lose its saltiness is to dilute it. But there are other ways too. Now, where do you buy your salt? At the grocery store, yeah. And that's part of our problem is that we tend to think that way. Oh, you go to the store and it's, it's salt. That isn't the way it worked in Israel. <laughs> They didn't have a grocery store. So if they wanted to buy, if they wanted salt, where did their salt come from? Nope. It came from mines. Well, any kind of thing that you mine has a lot of impurities in it, and some of it had more than others. So if you had too much sandstone in the salt or other minerals, then it wasn't any good. I mean, you couldn't really use it for anything. You, know, you wouldn't want to eat it or, or put it on food or do anything. And so salt could lose its saltiness. And even more so, one of the things that they would do because of the impurities is they would put it in a sack, like a cheesecloth kind of sack. And when they cooked, they would put that, like, and they had it in chunks. They didn't get it, you know, little granules like we get. And they would put it in their food as it was cooking. And the salt, of course, would gradually erode away from inside and, and, and seep out. But eventually, there wasn't anything left in it but the impurities you know, that were there, the, the sandstone and the dirt. And so at that point, do you know what they did with that sack? They threw it out to be trampled underfoot. So what Jesus is talking about is something that's kind of familiar to people. Um, we tend to be too scientific in our thinking. We think, well, you know, salt is a, you know, a bonded chemical that's stable. How do you put that, how do you separate those? But, you know, they didn't look at things that way. So what are the characteristics of salt? What does salt do? 
Hmm? Flavors, sanitizes, yeah, preserves, it cures, yeah. Now, we tend to think of if you would get meat, you know, you put it in a freezer or in a refrigerator and it keeps. Um, they didn't have freezers or refrigerators. They didn't even have ice, believe it or not, because in the wintertime, it didn't get cold enough there. You'd go down the creek and, you know, get a block of ice and, um, and, and bring it home and have an ice house where you could put all your meat down into under the ground that would keep it cold. Um, I, was, I was talking to my father-in-law, who was 90 the other day, and, and he was telling me about that when he was a kid, they actually had an ice man who came because that was what the refrigerator was, was they would put a block of ice in the refrigerator uh, in this box thing, and it was an ice box. That's where it got its name. I said, gee, that sounds like a hassle. <laughs> but the ice man came every week. And the block of ice usually lasted them a week. So, you know, they didn't, weren't able to do that. So what they had to do was, if they wanted to have meat, because if you slaughtered a lamb or, or a cow or anything, how would you eat it all? I mean, it would go bad before, you know, most families could get it eaten. And so what they would do would be, what they didn't eat immediately, they would preserve by rubbing salt all in it. Now, in Israel, food is kosher. Anyway, which means that all fluids have to be drained out of it. And when they say all, they mean all. It's the only place I've ever been in my life where fish is tough. I didn't even know it's possible for fish to be tough, but it is. It's like eating shoe leather. Um, they drain all the fluids out. But then if they put the salt and spread it around, it draws even more of the fluids around. You know, about the only place we see that anymore is with beef jerky or something like that. But it's very similar to that kind of thing. And that's how they kept the meat you know, so that they could continue to eat it over time. So salt brings out flavor, you know, and, and, and makes it more distinctive. It also sanitizes things. It preserves life. It also gives life, by the way. Do you know most of your body is made up of salt water? You couldn't live without salt. And so salt's a very important part of our existence. And it, it also cures things. So what happens... If you, have you ever like been eating corn and cob and have the top of the salt shaker fall break you know fall off, or had somebody you know they were putting salt in a pot of soup or something and you know, suddenly the top came off and the whole thing went in? What's that like? Very salty. Yeah, you can't eat it, can you? What happens if you get too much salt in your body? High blood pressure. Yeah, I mean it could and. You can dehydrate. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. And, and on top of that, it just tastes bad. Nobody would want to eat it. And so, you know, when we talk about salt, it's also possible to have too much salt. So although it's a very good thing, it's only good in right proportions for people. So salt, in many ways, it's important to be what we do. We tend to think of when Jesus says the church is the salt of the earth. Most people today think of church as this. You know, the people gathered on Sunday morning, you know, when they, you know, when we talk about church we, to somebody, we usually say, what church do you go to? You know, they don't think about it as being the individuals. They think about it as being, you know, the, the gathering, at the best, the gathering, if not the building, um, but the gathering of people. But in reality, Jesus wasn't saying that, that, that the, the people gathered on Sunday morning are the salt of the earth. That isn't what he was saying. In, in modern parlance, it would be more like he was saying, you are the salt shaker of the earth. Because what you need to do is to have a little bit of it go all over the place. You know, it, it works a lot like, have you ever heard the joke about clergy? Clergy are a lot like, they're a lot like fertilizer. 
If you spread them around, they do a lot of good. You put them together, all you got is a pile of manure. Um, which, actually, there's a lot of truth in that, but <laughs> it's a little scary. But, um, but salt's like that, too, and Christians can be like that also. You know, that's why, just think, if we all decided, you know, we're going to go out and we're really going to be evangelistic, so our entire congregation goes out door to door in this subdivision right back here, all of us, at one time. They'd be terrified. Huh? What'd you say? You get a dump fed. No, I mean, but you all go to the same door. That'd be a little frightening, wouldn't it? And... And all too often, that's what Christians do too much, is they overwhelm people. So when Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, what he's really saying is that we need to be the people who go into the world and give it you know, life and give it flavor. Did you know that Christians are called to give flavor to the world around them? That's an interesting. I don't know that we're known for that. You know, all too often, you know, people don't really see us as being people who are zesty and you know, flavorful. They see us as being people who are dour and depressed and unhappy all the time. But that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people who are bringing flavor. The second thing he says is that you are the light of the world. And he talks about who, who, who lights a lamp and, and puts it under a bushel basket. Now, why wouldn't you do that? It'd defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? So he said, no, you, instead you put it up on a lampstand so that it can give light to everyone around. What are the qualities that light has? What is light good for? Getting to the bathroom? That's what, yeah. Knowing where you're going I mean, it is an important one, yeah. What else? It can give warmth, not always, but it can. Hmm? Grow things, yeah. Do you realize that you can't survive without light? Um, you, you can't thrive if you don't have light. Matter of fact, we couldn't grow vegetables and food without light. It, it wouldn't happen. And, and so light gives life in the world. What else does light provide for the world? Guides us. Also does something really important. What do things look like at night? Until time. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good one. It's gray. It's dark. Isn't it? You, there are no colors. You can't see color at night. The world's black and white, and at best gray, which is a mixture of black and white. But to, for the world to be full, vivid and full of colors, you have to have light. You know, if, if, if you lived in blackness, there would be no color in your world whatsoever. There would only be dullness and darkness. Now, what's interesting about light is light's a lot like salt. It's good when used appropriate and spread around in small doses. What happens if you get too much light is the question. I mean, have you ever been um, in, a, in a dark room asleep and somebody comes in and flips on the light switch? What's your reaction? Yeah, oh, you know, turn that off. I mean, it's horrible. Have you ever had anybody shine a spotlight in your face? Or headlights on high beam in your face? I mean, it's horrible. You don't like it. Too much light is not a good thing. Remember what your mothers used to tell you about staring at the sun? What'd they tell you? You know, to make you go blind. They told us a lot of things would make us go blind. Actually, it was interesting. Was that, and, and, that and the people who were starving was always the two big things that they were into. But, um, China, India, depending on the age you were in. But, but 
what will it burn your eyes out? Will they not be there anymore? Just be holes? But if, does anybody here have those floaters from where you did get your retina burned from doing that? And so sometimes when you're looking, you see a little thing drifting across your field of vision. It's like a shadow. I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? But too much light isn't necessarily a good thing. What happens if you really focus light in a laser beam? It'll burn a hole in things. Or if you take a magnifying glass. Um, huh? Ants, yeah. I never did that. So. The, uh, but a lot of light isn't necessarily good. Now, part of the problem for the church is that an awful lot of churches seem to think that we're called to be the spotlight of the world. Our job is to shine the spotlight on the sin of the world. You know, our job is to come to you and, and shine it so everybody can see that sin, 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 bad, bad, bad. And oddly enough, people's reaction tends to be very much like if you're in a dark room and somebody turns on the light. You know, they're not too happy about it. You know, in reality, we're not called to shine a light on the sin of the world. You know, actually, the sin of the world isn't that hard to find. It's pretty obvious. What we're really do, called to do is to be the light of the world that lights up the whole area so that people can begin to know that God has a plan for them, that God made them on purpose. And you've probably heard me say it before, but you really are not here by accident. You know, you didn't pop out of the womb and God goes, how'd that one get through? I mean, that didn't happen that way. When you were born, God wanted you here. You wouldn't have existed if God didn't want you here. And he has a plan for you in his creation that he wants you to fulfill. And part of the thing that Christians are called to be light in the world is to help people to come to know the God who can help them uh, with, by guiding their path and helping them to see where they're going and what they're doing. It provides meaning for their life. But it goes even beyond that. It's greater than that. Because light provides color to the world. It makes it vivid and abundant and joyful. And Christians are supposed to be called to be people who bring, you know, liveliness to the world, excitement, joy. And yet, how often are we known for that? You see, there are an awful lot of people going out there in the name of God and doing all the wrong things. Because what we're supposed to be doing is telling people the good news. Imagine what a world would be like if we looked at sin the way we look at a little kid who runs out and falls down and scrapes their knee. Now, there's a couple of different approaches you can do to that. You can say, well, that was really stupid. Why don't you watch where you're going? You should be careful. You know, you skinned up your knee. Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? Well, you deserve it. Sometimes I think too many Christians are kind of like that. Doesn't help so much. What happens to the child if you do it that way? They quit crying immediately, right? And they're very calm and passive. And Oh, okay. I see. I won't do that now. No, I mean, they become more hysterical. Same thing happens when we use the law to beat over people's heads with. No, what we do with kids when they fall down is we kiss their boo-boo and make it better, clean it up, and we send them back out again to do, you know, to start again. That's the way Christians ought to see sin. It's not that, you know, that, that people who sin are evil. There are some evil people who sin. Obviously, if you're evil, you do sin. But sin in and of itself doesn't make someone evil. Rather, it's a condition that we live in. It's a brokenness, a hopelessness, a trying to find your way around in the dark. 
and doing stupid things. And what we really need to do with people is love them. Kiss their boo-boos and say, don't do that again. Now, you wouldn't want to encourage a small child. Now, go out and scrape your knee again. That was really good, wasn't it? Well, same thing with sin. We don't want to say, oh, that was great sin. You know, you should try it again. I mean, don't encourage it. But we want to say there's a better way. Let me help you. Let me show you. That's what it means to be the light of the world, is to be an encourager. Someone who offers people hope. Someone who offers people light in the midst of darkness. You know, the truth is, is the law is the law. There are a lot of people who want to do away with sin because it's rather inconvenient. Matter of fact, you don't even hear much about sin anymore. Have you noticed how many people make mistakes? I'm always thinking, well, yeah, but it's the same meaning. <laughs> a mistake, sin, you know. I mean, what difference does it make what you're calling it? Unless you're going to apply this pejorative to sin that means you're evil, in which case mistake would be different, I guess. But it ought not be that way. And the solution to sin isn't to you know, rewrite the law so that it fits in better with our lifestyle. The solution is to say there's a better way. There's hope. There's meaning. Let me introduce you to the one. Let me show you. Let me shine the light so that you can see that person. Now, Jesus says something interesting. He says, let your light so shine before all people that they may see your good works. Doesn't that just make you cringe? That's rather arrogant, isn't it? I mean, you're supposed to do it anonymously. You don't want people to know you do good works. Well, that's not necessarily true, actually. Actually, people should know if you do good works, unless you're taking credit for it. <laughs> if you seem to think that somehow or other you're God and you made it all happen, then no, you probably shouldn't take any credit for it. But the truth is you should give the glory to God so that when they see your works, they will give praise to your Father who is in heaven. You know, I've often been amazed. I've been preaching now for 28 years or so. It still astounds me that the sermons that I preach that I get the most positive feedback from that people love are things that when I went in that morning, I had no idea what I was going to say. I'd been working all week and hadn't come up with the darn thing. It was just God, pure God. And I always thought God does that just to keep reminding me. <laughs> it's not you. You're really not that important. And so... It's important for us to remember that in all the things that we do. It's not us. It's God. It's God who enables to do it. When Matt gets up and plays and sings and, and does all the things he does, and the other people in the band, you could say, oh, aren't they great? They do such a terrific job and how wonderful they are. But why do they do it? How do they do it? You know, would they come out of the womb doing it? No. God enabled it. God empowered it. And so it's a God thing. All of it's a God thing. And so we, we have to begin to see ourselves as people who are to give glory to God. So you should tell people, you should let people know about your good works. Not because you're that good, but because God is that good. Because the truth is, is Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I mean, the truth is, is if you want to get into heaven, you're going to have to be righteous. You're going to have to be perfect as your Father in heaven is imperfect. Not one dot, not one iota, of the law will pass away until it's been fulfilled. Now, if you think about it, that's actually good news. I mean, do you want to live in, in eternity with other people's sins around you? I mean, that'd be a bummer. I have different thoughts about my own somehow or other, but I keep telling myself, no, I don't really want to live with them either. But it's easier to want to keep your own because they're not that bad, right? 
It's the other peoples that are annoying. But the truth is, is that God in heaven is going to have a perfect place with perfect people. So how do we get there? How do we do that? The only way that we can get there, the only way we can do that is by surrendering to the one who created us to begin with, by allowing his will to overcome us and to be people who walk in his light, follow his path, let him guide our steps. When we do that, then we can become what God created us to be. Because that's the truth of both salt and light, is both of them give people the chance at real life. Life that has meaning, life that has purpose, life that has joy, life that's flavorful and colorful. You all think the church has that reputation? Might explain why all the chairs, we have so many empty chairs. Somebody needs to start changing the reputation. What Jesus is really trying to tell us in this is that you are meant to be an influence in your society, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. You are meant to influence people and to help them to come to see that there's a God who loved them so much that he's counted every hair on their head. That when they were born, he had plans for them, great plans that would be joyous. If we began to be known as a church that was filled with, filled with color and flavor and zest and life and hope and meaning, then who wouldn't want it? Who wouldn't, you know, desire to have that sort of thing? And so I want to challenge you this week to think about that. How are you being salt in the world? Does anybody even know you're a Christian? And even if they know you're a Christian, do they have any clue what that means to you? Or is it just nice for you? Or do they have any idea of the depth of what God has done for you and the amount that he has changed you? Because that's what it takes to be salt and light, is to open our hearts to a broken world, not in judgment like a spotlight, but as a lamp that invites people in. Amen. You've just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.